Welcome to this message from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon. City Bible Church is a vibrant community of people with one common desire to experience God, enjoy people, and celebrate life. Life Principles, Part 2. We've gone life paths and life this, life that. We're on life principles. This is the second part to life principles I never got to. Life principles, what are they? Principles act as a guide to our actions. They are non-negotiable, non-optional, unconditional. Those are the strong words. In other words, there are laws that you hold in your hand. Laws by which we govern the affairs of life. Foundation to all of our actions. These are principles. We don't negotiate them. We don't have them as an option. You can't buy them from me. You can't take them from me. You can't talk me out of them. They're the principles I have decided to live with. They're they're not optional for me. They're the laws that govern the way I think, the way I act. What are the handful of principles that you have? Principles and values, all right? Values, conviction, preference. Principles and values. Values are traits or qualities that are considered important. All you have to do is ask yourself, what do you consider important? And then dash, dot, dot, dot. What do you do with your time, with your money, with your emotions? That's what you consider important. Not what you think is important. What do you do with your life? If you consider family or marriage or children important, then you pastor them, you love them, you pour into them, you spend time with them. Why? Because they're your value system. Whatever you value is what you give your life to. You can't hide your values. Now, you can give me a sheet that you would list what you know you should list. That's not what I'm talking about. List what you know you do. List the values that you know are upon your life and you actually order your life by these. They represent your highest priorities and are deeply held driving forces that drive how we judge and make decisions. You want to know a person's value system? It's very simple when they start making decisions. Decisions are driven by values. If you will fudge to get the decision your own way or manipulate a circumstance or leave out a little bit of information, if you manipulate decision-making at the lowest ebb of life or the highest ebb of life, it really is your value system that pushes those decisions. How we judge, make decisions, think, and how we live. Convictions. Strong personal persuasions that really come out of your value system, your beliefs being firmly established, convinced, convinced that this is right and this is wrong. I'm convinced of it. Aligning our principles and our behavior accordingly. Convictions determine what? Your character. When you have a conviction, it begins to form and fashion daily the person you become. The person you are becoming is the person you allowed to become today. And when you put all the todays together, you end up with a habit. When you put all the habits together, you end up with a conviction or a value. You put all them together, you end up with a person. And that person is made of all those days, convictions, values, persuasions, beliefs, and actions and attitudes that are out of some kind of a root system in their life. And when it's all said and done, you have a person that's been shaped by those things. What is shaping you? What are your convictions, your values? What are your preferences? Preferences is where I think a lot of people live. When faced with difficult decisions, principles may be dropped. 
It's too hard for me to really be truthful about this. It's too hard for me to fulfill that. I just can't stand breaking up with this guy. I know he's not a Christian. I know he he doesn't even want to go to church, but I I just emotionally, I can't handle it. So I'm going to keep dating this guy. But really, in reality, you're, you're violating a core value principle and putting yourself at risk because your preference is, I want to guard my own emotions. I want to guard my own lifestyle instead of really going with the principle. And that has to do with finance, has to do with, Relationships has to do with involvements with people. What are you dropping in order to let preference take over? Compromise on our principles as we live by our what? Taste, happiness, enjoyment. The American way right there. Taste, happiness, enjoyment. Principled people. I gave you three. Joseph, uncompromising principles. When no one could see him, no one could judge him, and he had no reason to live them out. He had a right to be upset, a right to violate certain things in his life, but he would not do it. He was a man of uncompromising principle with his morals, with his mind, with his family, and God honored him highly. David respected the principle of authority with Saul. Even though Saul was not right, David kept right. He respected the principle. Daniel, in movable principles, would not bow. His friends would not bow. He would not close his door when he prayed because he knew the principle of the sovereign God and he allowed that principle to shape his life even when his life could have been taken from him as a martyr. One today is worth two tomorrow, Benjamin Franklin. What I am to be, I am now becoming. Wow. Real, sustainable change doesn't happen in a moment. It is a process of consistent living by God's principles. Repentance is an event, but character is a life. To ask forgiveness, sometimes my my children will say to me, well, I'm sorry, Dad. And I said, sorry doesn't answer the problem. But I've asked God to forgive me, and I forgive you, but it doesn't take away the consequence. Because you're sorry or because you repent or because you realize something that is wrong and you've done it and you say, uh, you know, I'm really sorry I did that. It doesn't change the life that has been touched by that decision or the consequence that you might suffer because of the violation of that principle. Being sorry doesn't change consequence. Repentance doesn't change consequence. Repentance simply makes you able to bear whatever God wants to do about the situation. It puts the grace of God on you to handle what you will have to do to make everything right. Making everything right could be a very difficult task when you have violated certain things in the banking industry or the real estate industry or the moral atmosphere of life or some area of life that you have violated. You can't just immediately with a magic wand, even though it's the grace wand or the sovereignty wand or the God wand or the cross magic wand, you can't erase what a life is being molded by. can't erase it. And sometimes I get so upset with Christians because they use the grace of God to simply cover everything that they've done. Just say, well, well, God will cover that. He will cover it and he will forgive it. But there is a price to pay anytime and every time you violate the principles of God. Grace will come, yes. 
And God might even turn around to work for your good. What's that mean? It doesn't mean that he will remove everything for your good. It means he'll make it work for your good. If you have to go to prison for a crime because you pray for forgiveness and you ask, and I've dealt with people in that exact situation, the judge still put them in jail. They still paid the price for their crime as a Christian. As a believing person, God graced them to handle the scenario and get the best out of it, but they still had to handle the scenario. My advice to you is do not violate principles thinking that God will somehow ignore you, ignore the consequence, and allow you to never have to suffer because of it. It's not true. It's not true. Choose principles. That's what I'm saying to you. Okay, here it is. Choose principles. This is my question to every person that's listening. Will we act upon life or will we merely be acted upon? That's the difference of a person who is proactive in life by actually sowing good seed, living by principle, aligning with everything God says align with. You are proactive to build your life a certain way. Certainly, tests can come in and certainly some bad things can happen. But your life is being built in a certain way that you are certainly going to get through every storm. Why? Because you are actually not waiting for life to act upon you. You are acting upon life itself. You're acting upon it. Some people are so passive that they wait for life to act upon them. My question is... Will we take proactive responsibility for determining our actions and destinations? Take proactive responsibility? Will we live our life in accordance with biblical proven principles or will we suffer the consequence of not doing so? A bad habit never disappears miraculously. I've never known a bad habit to disappear miraculously. You think about it. What that habit has done can be forgiven. That's a miraculous thing. A drug addict can say, I was delivered in one night, but then they have to go through weeks of still holding a discipline to create a new habit, not to go back to the drugs. It's not like a a miraculous, I never have to think about this discipline again. Oh, yes, you do. And many have to go through weeks and months of discipline to replace the bad habits that have caused their life to go the wrong direction. What you need to do is an undo it, an undoing of the bad habits to put the new habits in, which are principles. All right. There are five basic principles that I think every person should have. These are the five. Now, I could give you 80, 50, 90. But I'm going to give you the five what I would call core, simple. If you would do these five, I guarantee you, your life will be better. I guarantee you, you'll get through it. I guarantee that what the Bible says about these will work for you. It will work for anyone. And most of the pieces I pick up in people's lives is when they violate one, two, three, four, or five. People that violate all five of these, they have a lot of pieces. But even if you violate one of them, you might have a couple loose ends. They're simple. I live my life by these five. And I have for the last 30 years. They are what drive every decision I make. 
They drive every emotion that uh, I allow in. They drive sometimes very difficult decisions for me where I have to try to line everything up and then discern what in the world is the mind of God here. I come back to principles. Even though I can't see it, I'll go with the principles. Here they are. They're very simple. Number one, the principle of authority. The principle of authority. We gain authority as we learn to live in submission to authority. Greatest principle of life is right there. Never give a rebel authority. Never give a person who does not respect authority, authority over other people. They'll misuse it every time. The way you get authority is not by being authoritarian. The way you get authority is by submitting to authority. And a person who understands submission and humility can be trusted with authority. But if you don't understand it, those under authority will be trusted with authority. Romans 13 and 1 Peter 2, everyone must submit to governing authorities in their life. All authority comes from God. Those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone, this is what the Bible says, anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has implemented, instituted. It's God's structure. And they will be punished. That's what the Bible says. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. That's who authority deals with. Would you like to live without fear of authority? Do what is right. And they will honor you. I'm reading the New Living Translation. 1 Peter 2. For the Lord's sake, respect authority. Whether the king as head of state or the officials he has appointed, for the king had sent them to punish those who do wrong and honor those who do right, respect authority. The first principle that you have to live with, again, in Matthew chapter 8, 5 through 13, is another good scripture for this. There's a number, obviously, of great scriptures on authority that we could go through. The idea of authority is that you recognize God authority, you submit to that authority. You recognize spiritual authority, you submit to spiritual authority, which means you bend your will to accommodate what they're asking you to do as long as it's not immoral or unbiblical. You understand that submission to authority for those who watch over your soul is a wonderful thing if you can do it with the right spirit and gain the right position as you submit to authority. When it comes to the home, okay, I'm a spiritual authority. I have authority in you and with you as a pastor, but I have limited delegated authority. I am not sovereign in my authority. I cannot go to you and say, Laura, I want you to have three more children. This is what I feel for your life. Submit to what I'm saying. I have no right to do that. That is up to her and Pancho. I'm out of my realm. I have just violated the whole principle of authority. I am a delegated authority. I am not sovereign. I cannot pontificate things over your life. I cannot dominate your faith. I cannot take the place of the Word of God or the Holy Spirit. I am a partner with you to fulfill the will of God. I can teach the Word. I can pray with you. I can pour into your life. But when it comes down to it, your first line of authority is God. 
Your second line of authority is the Word of God. Your third line of authority is the Holy Spirit. Your fourth line of authority is spiritual pastors and leaders. Your fifth line of authority would be those who have wise counsel. You have realms of authority that you have to respond to. As a parent... I have authority over my children, but that authority changed. We call it the chain of command. When my kids are young in my household, I command them what to do. It's not a partnership. It is a dominating dictatorship. I am the authority in the home. I have a right to be. I have a responsibility to be. I need to teach them how to respond. But I'm not negotiating with them whether they should do something with their body or something with their time when they're 11 years old or when they're 14 years old. I'm not negotiating with them. I'm not saying, well, whatever you feel, hon, is fine with me. Sure, that's not a problem. I mean, really, you're under God. No, they're under me. I am a delegated authority, but I have a realm of command over my children as the people that God has put into my hands. But that changes as my children get older. 15, 16, 17, it starts changing about 17, 18, it changes a little bit more. By the time they get to 19, I'm not playing the father command business where I just say to them, don't ask questions, do what you're told, go to the college in Oklahoma, and that's the end of it. Don't ask me any more questions. I am an authority here. This is where you will go to school. That is wrong authority. Because I have not discerned the difference between the chain of command and moving them into adulthood where it's a chain of counsel. Now I must respect them as a young adult. They're learning to make decisions as an adult. I have to respect that. And I have to say to them, what do you see for your life? Dad, this is what I see. Awesome. How will you fulfill that? This is what I'm thinking. What about this? I start doing what? Chain of counsel. Not chain of command. When they're 20, 21, 22, 23, and they start moving into older adulthood, I have to back off even a little bit more. And I have to then allow them to what? Initiate with me questions. I don't go to them and say, I don't want you taking that job. You're 22 years old, and I don't want you working downtown. Those hours and taking the bus home at night is not the will of God for you as a daughter. I can't do that. Even though I might feel fear or, geez, I wish you would. I still have to come alongside of my 21-year-old now and my 24 and my 27. It's not the chain of command. It's a chain of counsel. It's a chain of partnership. It's a chain of wisdom. And it's helping them discern what is God doing in your life. Some parents will never let go. Some parents will come to me and they'll, they'll try to use me as a hammer. Well, I just want you to tell them that you agree with me. I'm not going to say that. I can't just say, yes, just do whatever. You have to learn how to loosen up a little bit and work with your children as they move into life. The same thing goes for spirituals, like with Jeff going to, to San Diego. I can't move alongside of Jeff and just say, chain of command, chain of authority. The answer is no. I want you to stay here and lead worship for me. Hallelujah. Yes, for the rest of your life. This is what God is saying to me. No moving. No moving. I don't know what it means to you, but I get the word no moving. Now, I could try that. And some pastors do. Believe you me. Some pastors do. They grip it. 
They hold their staff and they intimidate. And they say, if you leave here, you won't be blessed. And you don't have my blessing. I'll release you, but I won't bless you. And we're not going to send you. And this is not the will of God. And you're hurting the staff and you're hurting the church. And, and I don't know why you're doing You can take that. But in my estimation, it is absolutely wrong. Because my job is not about me. My job is about you. Which means I have to get alongside Jeff and say, how'd you come up with this? Okay, sounds right. How much have you prayed? Okay. How many times has God, okay. How will you do this? All right. Okay, here's my suggestion. Here's my counsel. Doug and Donna just came to see me last week and they sit down and said, now, Pastor Frank, we want to know everything you think we should do. How do you see this happening? I said, are you asking me initiating that you want to know exactly what I would do in Denver? Yes. I say, okay, tell me what you're going to do. Okay, this is what I would suggest. Yeah, that sounds good. It's chain of input. It's not saying, and you will start the church this way, and you will call it City Bible Church number two. (laughs) None of this pearl business. I want City Bible Church on that. No, it's chain of counsel. Now, as you move in life, if you understand authority, and you respond to authority, you will have a life that is in safety, a life that is fruitful, a life that is peaceful, and a life that won't step out of line. Now me, say, well, Frank, that's great. So you're a pastor, huh? Yep. Who do you submit to? Glad you asked that. A group of people called elders. What do you mean? I bet you don't really submit to them. Oh, I bet you I do. And I know I do. Whatever I get from God, if it doesn't get through the elders, you never hear about it because I won't say it. If, if I feel something, I don't go to the pulpit and say it. Some pastors would say that you're right. You should do thus saith the Lord. You are the set man. You're the authority of the house. You're the visionary. You have the right. No, I don't. I have the responsibility to make sure what I blabber off is the will of God. And so I don't just get up and blabber whatever my little emotion is saying right now. I might have emotions about something for a lot of different reasons. So I come to the elders and say, this is what I'm thinking. It never, ever failed me that someone will bring up something I didn't think about. And I'll I'll say to myself, I am so glad I ask. Because if I would have done this without asking, I could have really looked very stupid out there in the front making a decision that had some definite bad sides to it. So we'll knock it around every time we do it. And I'll let that process go on for a month, two months, three months, six months with the multi-site campus, two years, two years of discussing it before we finally pull the trigger. We as an eldership in total unity said, Let's pull the trigger, Frank. We're ready to go. Okay, if you're ready, I'm ready. Let's make it happen. Then we're all on the same page. Learning authority can only come by learning submission. If you can't submit and learn from others, you'll have a hard time ever leading others. Okay, second principle. At least I can tell you what the five are. Second one is the principle of absolute integrity. 
Integrity takes in the words of pure heart, righteous, upright, honest, truthfulness, blameless, perfect, trusted. Integrity is the core of one's character. Integrity is the compass that navigates all of life. You would understand those words just by looking at them. All you have to do is say, well, how pure-hearted am I about what I do? And what about honesty and truthfulness and blame-shifting and uh, trust? And is it the core to my character? And would I you know, navigate life by violating a couple little things that seem okay to me that I can violate and maybe I don't have to mess with this, you know. Ray Floyd, nine-inch putt. Nine-inch. Nine-inch. Nine-inch putt. $108,000 for the putt. Had the game wrapped up. All he had to do was make the nine-inch putt. He had won the tournament. $108,000. But right when he got ready to putt, the ball moved just a tiny from the wind or who knows, but it just it moved a tiny little bit. So he stepped back, looked around. Nobody saw it. Nobody in the stands. None of the people with a little white hat on that judged the game. As he stepped back, he had a choice right there. Call myself on it. Out of integrity, I violated the game right here. Or, who cares? It's not going to change the putt. Nobody's thought. Just in my mind, maybe I didn't see it. Maybe it really didn't move. Start rationalizing. But he didn't. Sir, come over here. Yes, yes, Mr. Floyd, what do you want? My ball moved. My ball moved. It moved on the green here. Are you sure? Yes, I'm, I'm very sure. Okay, then you'll have to take a penalty stroke. You know that. Yes, I, I know that. Drops the putt in. Loses the tournament. Loses $108,000. But in his communication to his family and to his children, what a principle of loss, gain. Everybody in the golf world watched it happen, heard it happen, And his name was used over and over and over again for what? The integrity of the game is like a Ray Floyd who, that's the integrity of our game. Coach, winning the basketball tournament, first time in 15 years for the high school, winning the basketball tournament. They won the game, had the trophy. And then one of his assistants brought something to his attention and said, Coach, I don't know if you need to know this. It really doesn't impact anything. But one of the guys we put in at the very end of the game, we played for 45 seconds. 45 seconds. Was ineligible to play. But he only played 45 seconds. Not an impact player. The game wasn't changed. Coach says everything changes. He called the news conference, brought the trophy said to the news conference, this trophy does not belong to us. We violated the rules of the game. We played on an ineligible player for 45 seconds. His name is such and such. It was our fault. I didn't know it till now. When it was brought to my attention, I made it right. Here's the trophy back. I want the whole school to know. What do you think happened to that man's name? He became synonymous with the integrity of a coach is like Mr. Stroud. What he did, giving up. And if you're in sports, you would know what that would mean to a school, to a coach, and to everybody. Having gone through all the celebrations, they have to turn around and say, Oops, sorry, I violated 
something to get that, and I'm going to face it. Integrity means you face what you violate, even if it hurts, even if it's confusing for other people, even if something gets taken from you. You face the violation, and you make it right to a boss, to a friend, to a college, to a program, to yourself. Integrity is all about wholeness. It's, it's that word that I'm talking about. When there's integrity, every loose end of your life ties into something. That's what the word means. Integrity is the word integrity, which means wholeness. That's what the Bible uses for the word wholeness. Wholeness is what? You have a core that brings all the pieces together. When you have integrity, there's no loose ends in your life. People say, oh, I can trust him. Yeah, absolutely. What do you mean? Oh, don't even think about it. I trust that man. He has no loose ends. He would never violate anything that he knew was right. He would never do it. She would never do that. Oh, what a way to live. For people to actually trust you. For people to actually believe that you would never violate that. Third principle I live by. The principle of always forgive Never play, it's my right, I deserve it, they don't, I'm not going to, I can't. Don't play the game. You will lose every time. Old Joe was dying. He had a a fence with his best friend, Bill. He called Bill into his dying room. And Joe told him all the stuff that had offended him and what Bill had done. And so Joe made everything right with Bill at that, on that deathbed. As Bill turned to leave the room, old Joe said something that is just like old nature. As he walked out of the room, Joe called him back and said, but remember, if I get better, this doesn't count. <laughs> Makes it all right. But remember, if I get better, I'm still ticked off as you as ever. Never as a Spanish patriot lay dying, in came the priest. Father confessor asked him whether he had forgiven all of his enemies. Never as looked astonished and said to him, Father, I have no enemies. I have shot them all. How could I have an enemy? I executed them. There's nobody I'm upset with. They're all dead. The Clark Nutcracker Bird collects 33,000 seeds in a few-month time period. Now, this is what's incredible. The bird takes the seeds and buries them, three and four seeds at a time, in 7,000 locations. I'm not exaggerating. This is bird theology. (laughs) 7,000 locations deposits seeds and during the wintertime remembers where every one of the 7,000 locations are, flies there in the wintertime and eats the three or four seeds. All 7,000 locations. Some people are like the bird 
who remembers where every seed is buried, almost in a supernatural way, every offense, every person, everything that's ever happened, you've buried every seed, and you have the ability to call them up whenever you want. Don't be a nutcracker. Okay, number four, I'm I'm finishing right here. I'm not even going to talk about this. We are done. Number four, the principle of keeping lasting relationships, sustaining them. And number five, the principle of serving God's purposes. Those are the five. Understand authority. Understand that you almost will always be countered with this, but that you must learn how to forgive. Understand how to live by purpose. Understand how to keep relationships. Understand how to always, always, always keep those seeds buried out of your life. If you do those five basic little things, your life will be better.